0: I wish I was a little bit taller, I wish I was a baller, I wish I had a girl who looked good, I would call her. Wish Welcome to this episode of Wall I'm Street to Main Street. Street. I'm your host, Emily Vonnie, here with my co-host, finance expert and author, and my one and only, Ruben Vonnie. Hi, Ruben. Hi, Emily. This episode is brought to you by the Investment Banking Institute, a global leader in financial training for nearly 20 years, with more than 40,000 professionals trained. To learn more, visit iBanking.com. On this episode, we are concluding our series on how COVID-19 is impacting various sectors of the economy by jumping into the sports industry. Don't forget to check out past episodes on COVID-19 and innovation, telehealth, and Hollywood, among other topics. We are delighted to welcome Michael Siegel to the show today. Mike is founder and managing member of Siegel Sports Entertainment, a full-service basketball agency based in Philadelphia with expertise in athlete management. He is a National Basketball Players Association and NCAA-certified agent who has negotiated close to half a billion dollars in player contracts. Welcome, Mike.
1: Hi, how are you? Nice to talk to you and be on the show.
0: Just a quick disclaimer that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to our hosts and guests, and not necessarily to our employers, organizations, committees, or other groups or individuals. The content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information as other material, legal, tax, investment, financial, medical, or other advice. So Mike, let's get into it. There are many industries that rely heavily on in-person events and they've been severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, the sports industry and the NBA are among those who were, you know, completely upended, complete upheaval when the pandemic broke out. Can you give us a sense of what it's like in the sports arena right now?
1: Sure. Um, There's so much going on and yet nothing going on. Nothing in that there are no games being played, no practices being held, um, so much going on in that everyone from agents to players to Players Association officials and league officials are all trying to figure out next steps to either resume this season or cancel this season next season. Um, I was actually at the Sixers Pistons game on March 11th when all of this went down. And that was when the game in Oklahoma City with the Utah Jazz was canceled. Because Rudy Gobert was found to be positive. And that's when Adam Silver basically took the lead, shut down everything. And then in the next few days, you saw everyone else shutting down uh, the NCAA, other sports leagues, et cetera. And so I think the biggest problem right now is that you have sports leagues that depend on playing games in front of fans, not only for appeal, but also for um, revenue. Uh, That's not able to happen. And so that's the big issue that everyone's dealing with short-term and long-term.
0: And Ruben, given the current situation and your understanding of the economics of the NBA, what does this mean, as Mike alluded to, financially?
2: Well, in the near term, it's devastating. There's, there's no denying that. You know, the fact of the matter is that uh, NBA teams are some of the most valuable franchises in the world. In fact, uh, Forbes put out an article earlier this year stating that the... Um, New York Knicks is the second most valuable New York uh, North American franchise, only uh, slightly behind the Dallas Cowboys, worth about four point six billion dollars. And when you when you think about what's happening, the upheaval, the fact of the matter is they're not selling seats, so their arena revenue is non existent. Um, they're probably running into problems around licensing agreements because this spans the entire sports ecosystem. Uh, you've got issues around. Um, players who are uncomfortable playing um, in a pandemic uh, world. So the bottom line here is that it is hurting the value of these franchises. It's hurting their uh, revenues. It's hurting their operating income. And I think something we'll have to watch out for going forward in in terms of how this situation evolves is uh, how these franchises are financed, the ones that uh, have less than burdensome some debt loads, will be the ones that can weather this storm.
0: And, uh, and, you know, Mike mentioned ticket sales and in-person sort of events and stadiums being a major driver of revenue. Um, but, you know, television partners and advertising is also a big part of this picture. And without games being played, whether there are people in the stands or not, um, they're losing out on that ad revenue. Um, You know, $24 billion was committed by television partners in 2014, uh, which was a nine year commitment. And, you know, those those commitments need to be satisfied. So, Mike, is there any discussion on what it may look like to try to continue forward, even if that doesn't include fans in the stands? Or is that even a discussion?
1: That's very much the discussion right now because I don't think anyone's contemplating return to play with fans. I think the return to play is focused solely on getting teams back together to hopefully finish the rest of the 1920 regular season, have some semblance of a playoff series and crown a champion, and then use that as the litmus test for planning future seasons. Um, there are some revenue-generating thresholds, contractually that is, that require teams to play 70 games in order for those contracts to be valid. And so if I'm not mistaken, I think all of the teams in the NBA as of the cancellation or suspension rather of play on March 11th had played somewhere between 65 and 66 games each. So you're only a handful of games away from that threshold, which I think is a driving factor as to why There's such a desire to complete the season. And there's also the competitive desire to have all the hard work put in for what was almost a complete regular season uh, culminate in crowning a champion with a playoff series. Um, There are far-reaching effects beyond this as well because don't forget that every June, the NBA conducts a draft. And that draft is based on evaluating prospects. And those prospects generally prove themselves not only through their body of work during the college season, but also in pre-draft camps, pre-draft workouts, pre-draft interviews, pre-draft combines, all of which have been postponed, some of which have been outright canceled. And so now you have to look at what can these guys do in terms of improving their stock? And the ones who are underclassmen who normally would have left school, are they trying to go back to school because they don't know when the NBA is going to play again? Or do they stay in the draft because university presidents are now telling parents that they're not going to let their students back on campus in the fall, which means you can't ask a student athlete to play a fall or winter sport, which means it might be wiser to try and play in the NBA or the G League rather than go back to school if they're not going to play for another year. So this is very, very far reaching beyond just the pros themselves. It also trickles down to the aspiring pros.
2: Yeah Mike you you hit on some really important points it it it's it's um you know it's troubling to hear just how um widespread this um this pandemic is in terms of how it affects industries like like sports. You're not just talking about the current teams and their owners and their players, but you're talking about the people coming up and building careers around these prospects. You know, coming back to the, the financial aspect of it, the average um, revenue per NBA team is around uh, two hundred ninety million uh, dollars a year, uh, according to Forbes. Uh, And the average operating income is around $70 million a year. That means if you use those averages, you're looking at roughly $220 million in uh, costs of producing the events and operating costs to run the events and and everything else that goes on along with running an NBA franchise. So with no revenue coming in right now, uh, maybe a trickle in terms of licensing agreements, uh, bottom line is something has to be done soon
1: since we're really focused on the financial aspects of things in your podcast, let's take a hard look at what that means because there have been lots of discussions between the players association and the league lately regarding return to play and what that looks like on many levels, not the least of which is financial and the salary cap that each team adheres to with regard to signing players each year, there's a finite number that, of dollars that a team can use to sign players The salary cap is based on a calculation of BRI, which is basketball-related income, which is league-wide income, TV, tickets, concessions, parking, et cetera. So the salary cap was anticipated to be 115 million for the 2021 season. But if you're looking at a real doomsday scenario, you could look at a 40% drop in revenue um, which obviously affects the cap, which obviously affects what players would normally sign for versus what they can actually sign for moving forward. And it calls into question lots of things that require some serious planning and agreeing to before business can resume. Because going into free agency on July 1st with $115 million salary cap per team is probably no longer a reality.
0: And Mike, this is definitely sort of the big picture. And as you mentioned, the big picture financial for the league, for teams. Um, but this obviously trickles down to the individual level. And you do work, you know, one-on-one with players. What does life look like for NBA players right now? What are their thoughts? What What are their major anxieties? What's it like to be working with these players during this really difficult time?
1: You're going to be surprised to hear my response, which is that it's not been all that bad. Um, surely, I, always
0: like, I always like a positive note. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm a glass half full kind of person. And I think that's how you need to get through this. I think just speaking outside of sports for a moment, I think the general rule for this pandemic is keep your glass half full and use this as time to take stock in areas of your life where you may not normally have done so because you were so busy. And I think that's what the players who are getting through this pandemic better than others are doing. Um, I have a couple of clients who are new fathers, for example, and they're using this time to be at home at a time when they would be on the road to be better husbands, better fathers, spend more time watching their toddlers grow. That's invaluable. And they're loving that. Sure, the competitor within them wants to get back on the court and some of those without families who are single and living alone are feeling a bit lost. Um, But I think it's a good time to take a look at what you've been missing and dive into it and make the most of it. And I've always long preached that players need to start preparing for life after basketball as soon as they start becoming a pro. And we've been working with a lot of our players to use this time to generate content, come up with business plans for existing side businesses they have, or to plan other endeavors that they'd like to get into now or after basketball and use this as not a time to sit back and be a gamer, which a lot of guys are doing. And you can actually make money off of that too, by streaming your gaming skills, but use it to better yourself and plan for the future, create content network, build relationships, take graduate school courses. There's endless things that someone can do. And I find that the ones that are more forward-thinking and resourceful are taking advantage of this time to do exactly that. And I applaud them for it.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point, Mike. And it it reminds me of so much of what we heard on other podcasts in the last several weeks, how not just uh, corporations, but individuals are taking this time for self-assessment uh, and to really kind of innovate and, and even reinvent the standard paradigm. It's great to hear that NBA players that you're in contact with are really thinking about their their lifetime professional value, uh, along with, you know, even their humanitarian value, how they can be um, great at home, great in the community and also build great businesses around their brand and their reputation. So that's that's encouraging. I, li- I like to hear things like that as well. Um, Going going forward, though, can you kind of walk us through some scenarios of what the fall may look like? Has it come to that point where there's some scenario based decision making or is it it's still very much in flux? I'd I'd love to hear the different possibilities.
1: Well, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, who many are looking to as sort of the authoritative figure on all of this. Right. Maybe even beyond sports, because he was he was doing things with more authority than our own president at a time when that was needed back in March. And so he knows he has to get this right, and we support him 100% because he's a very good leader. He's a great commissioner, and I think he's done very well in his post so far. Within the past week, he's announced that within two to four weeks, they are going to have a formal announcement as to whether this current season will resume or not. So within a month or less, we'll know. And what we'll know is all of the research that they've done to find out what a viable scenario for resuming the season, what, what are those? And, and how viable are they? And if we're not resuming the season, does that mean that they make it tougher to plan next season? Or do we just need more time to come up with more ideas? Of course, all the while hoping that there is something in the medical community that makes it easier to make that decision. But right now what they're looking at is a campus, maybe two. Disney in Florida is one, and perhaps Vegas as the other an East Coast campus, a West Coast campus, where you convene all of the teams with essential personnel only and conduct business in somewhat of a bubble, if you will. And I think there are two main concerns. There is the concern having to do with safety of play. And then there's also the public relations concern regarding if you have to test these players, and you do, and you have to test them often, like every day, um, what, is, what are the optics of that when you have a society complaining that there aren't enough tests and that people deemed to be millionaires who don't need any help are getting tests? Even if the NBA figures out a way to procure these tests privately and pay for them privately, it's still a finite number of tests out there that they'd be taking from. So I think the PR concern weighs very heavily on the league in that regard as well. And so those are the immediate concerns. And I think how they're addressed will not only govern short-term decisions regarding the resumption of this season, but how to plan the 2021 season and beyond.
0: Well, and I, you know, I'm not going to weigh in necessarily on the ethical or moral um, components of that. But I think what this pandemic has brought up, and we discussed this in our in our podcast about Hollywood, is that there's obviously things that y- you can't negotiate are essential part of our lives, But I think in times like these, we've realized that entertainment, sports, and having these outlets do start to feel essential. They're so ingrained in our culture, in our economy, um, that finding a way to play again, I think a lot of people would argue that that is sort of an important part of our society and getting people back on track um, and feeling hopeful for the future. And maybe, like you said, examples for other sports leagues. Do you see um, the NBA as having maybe more or less challenges than maybe some other professional sports like the NFL? Um, Just because the nature of it and how they play in a stadium is is a little different. Do you think that the NBA could be a good example uh, to be the first?
1: It's a great question. And it really forces one to think about how each sport is played. You have NASCAR that's going to be conducting a race soon. Golf, I believe, is still conducting some PGA events. Um, those make sense, right? I mean, car racing is obvious. It's one man in the car. Pit crews obviously have concerns, but golf, that's certainly easy to figure out. These team sports, the primary four, especially in America, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, um, Much more difficult. Baseball, probably the easiest, because everybody is distanced on the field, and then you're just trying to address how you deal with a man on base next to a base keeper, what happens in the dugout, et cetera. And baseball looks to be moving very quickly toward a return to play in July. And perhaps the other commissioners are going to wait and see how that goes before they make their own decisions, although the time frame Adam Silver has announced is before that. I think there's going to be, first of all, I agree with your point. I think that that PR point I made about testing, I do believe that the majority of people in the world will say, hey, get them tested so I have something to watch other than cornhole. I also think that there's going to be some sort of – people are going to have to come together and say, listen, we're willing – if there are tests, if there's protocols, we're willing to take this chance to return to play because this is what we do and we want to do it for ourselves. We want to do it for our fans. And, um, and you see how – you take steps to make that work because in basketball it's tough. You have 10 guys on the floor. They're all touching the same ball. And then what happens if one guy tests positive? Does that send us spiraling backwards to where we were in March? In which case, is it worth pursuing this if everyone's knowledge of one person having a positive test is just going to send everyone running for the hills? So I know I'm not really answering anything, but I think that's the bigger issue, right? We're all in this position where we don't have any real answers. And at some point, someone's going to have to move forward and take a step that shows the rest of us what is and is not possible.
2: Mike, the NBA is perhaps the most or one of the most um, globally focused uh American sports leagues. How has this affected their presence and their opportunities? In other countries, uh, both from uh, a media standpoint and also from a a player feeder standpoint. I know that you have have many players you work with who who play in other countries with the hopes of eventually landing a spot in the NBA. How has this affected that that entire community and these opportunities?
1: Well, the problems that exist in the NBA exist elsewhere. FIBA is the international governing body of basketball um, for All leagues and teams outside of the United States, Uh, USA basketball governs basketball within our borders, but FIBA governs international game. And um, FIBA has really left it up to all of the individual federations in each country to make their own rules. And all of the leagues have been either canceled or suspended, some such as Germany and Israel trying to return to play as soon as this month. Um, Others have outright canceled and don't have a return to play date for next season. Uh, There are a lot of international players who are on the NBA draft radar who have declared for the draft, who normally would be coming over here for workouts and combines, and that's all suspended. Um, All of the American players who were playing professionally overseas uh, came home within days of the pandemic being declared Some contracts were suspended. Some were canceled. Um, Payment settlements have been all over the board. There's no uniformity of that. Everyone pretty much got what they negotiated through their agents. Um, So FIBA has kind of stepped back and let everybody handle it themselves. Um, That's the more technical response to your question. The more general response with regard to how the NBA is being viewed is, hasn't really made a difference. The NBA is always held as the gold standard in basketball around the world. People love it, watch it, respect it, emulate it. There's nothing to follow right now. And everybody's worrying about how to deal with their own leagues and players. And certainly all eyes are on the NBA to see how they're going to deal with things to perhaps create some modeling of that in their own countries and leagues and federations. But everything's pretty much on hold. And uh, I think everyone's going to, Kind of operate together, but certainly with an eye on what the NBA does.
0: And as you mentioned, with things on hold, Mike, um, one of the ways I like to conclude and wrap up these conversations is always sort of about the idea of um, opportunity, innovation, what we could look forward to, um, especially given the uncertainty of this time. And just like other industries that have been sidelined, and as you mentioned, there's individual players taking stock in how they may navigate a new path forward. Has this also been a time for the NBA to sort of take a moment of pause, reflect on you know where they've been, where they hope to go, and maybe areas of opportunity where there can be lasting changes post-recovery that would actually benefit um, the overall NBA, the players, um, and sort of the whole No doubt about it. And I
1: say that as a general personal opinion statement rather than a fact-based one because uh, rightfully so, um, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the NBA Players Association, and all of their lieutenants are operating uh, quite uh, and they should, because there's really no sense in leaking a lot of ideas and theories and information when none of them are are, are the gospel. You know, everyone will need to know what's going to happen when it's decided what will happen. Um, so my answer to your question can't be based on anything that we're being told by the league. But I would say that anybody on the face of this earth who isn't planning their future in the way that you expressed in your statement um, as being different from what it was prior to the pandemic being declared is kidding themselves and living negligently. Things are going to be different for everybody, regardless of who you are, where you live and what you do. And I think going back to answering Ruben's question or your question about how people are spending their time right now, the players, everybody needs to be using this time to think about where they've been, where they're at and where they're headed and look, about, uh, look at how different it's going to be and the adjustments they need to make uh, personally and professionally.
2: You know, I think a great takeaway from all of this, your comments, Mike, and also what I've been reading is that the, the M- NBA is really a shining example of how a business uh, overall should conduct itself in the midst of a crisis. Um, they're, they're walking that fine line between, between being decisive and, um, and being prudent. They're taking a very thoughtful approach, recognizing that there are many unknowns. But most importantly, I I feel they've been very transparent with their fans, with their players, and their their broader base of stakeholders.
1: I would agree. Um, It is the gold standard in pro sports. Some would argue that maybe that's the NFL, but I'm obviously biased. But I think the NBA, when you just look at just the sheer growth in revenue and popularity since – The new regime, quote unquote, took over, you know, that being David Stern in 83 and then his successor, Adam Silver. Um, It's been a tremendous period of growth that has served as a model for other businesses in in and out of sport. And um, Adam Silver is not going to do anything that he doesn't think can be done right. And um, that makes us feel good. And while we're all frustrated that it's taking time, we all know that it's for the greater good of the league and its players and the public and and health and safety and all of that. So um, it's going to take some time, but if I have faith in anyone to get it right, it's Adam and his staff.
2: Well, I hope they lead the charge and continue to set a good example for the folks in the NFL. So I can have my fall football, my fingers are crossed. (laughs)
0: We can see where Ruben's alliances <laughs> lie um, in terms of professional sports. But um, Mike, thank you for providing your, I'm going to call it inside baseball, but really inside basketball on today's episode of Wall Street to Main Street. Michael Siegel is the founder and managing member of Siegel Sports and Entertainment, a full service basketball agency based in Philadelphia. Again, I'm your host, Emily Bonnie, with my co-host, Ruben and Bonnie. Thank you both for joining Wall Street to Main Street today, and we look forward to next time. Thank, Thank you, you, Ruben Mike. and
1: Emily. Emily.
2: It's a pleasure to be with you.